Hey friends and welcome to the Talk Podcast. We believe that all change starts with a conversation, a talk that sparks an idea, convicts or creates a movement. The Talk seeks to foster real, relatable and relevant conversations that not only challenge, equip and empower its listeners to be agent of change. As an extension of joy of it, we look to find points of intersection in a divided world. No topic is off limits, and all people and opinions are welcome. We believe we represent Jesus best together, acknowledging all voices and talking through those things that disrupt our unity. When we are united, we can do great things, and it all starts with a talk. Welcome to the table. Hey friends, my name is Ashley Bell and welcome back to The Talk, a joy of it podcast. We have Ruben Alvarado joining us again for part two. And we left off last time um, just talking uh, about what Ruben was passionate about. And he mentioned disability theology. And so before we dive into that, I wanted you all to hear and to learn more about just Ruben's journey with vocational ministry. So Ruben, what brought you into full-time vocational ministry? Yeah, you know, I mentioned in the part one kind of my childhood curiosities around being raised in a home with two faith yeah. traditions. And so I think that did build like this curiosity for me about the faith. And if everyone's kind of arguing about which one's, what's the right faith, like yeah. I just found myself curious. So read the Bible a lot, you know, engaged mm-hmm. um, adults in my life, whether I was in youth group, whatever, just asking as many questions as I could. And mm-hmm. and what I found in that, you know, space was just the freedom to ask as many questions about faith as I wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. And I found that God and his scripture was faithful to like be okay with those questions, mm-hmm. you know? And I found answers to some of them and some I'm still, I'm still asking and I'm still exploring. <laughs> yeah. And so I think in that process, like there was this moment of knowing that we were called into ministry um, and that's super important. And we hold on to that moment and that prayer time and, and knowing we heard God's voice in that space. But to be honest, the more important thing has been a lifetime of him continuing to confirm that, yeah. you know, and to affirm that this is where he wants us and where yeah. he wants me to serve and how, and it's looked different. I mean, I'm currently, um, you know, looking for my next pastoral job, mm-hmm. having spent seven years at a church in Portland, looking now for a lead pastor role. Prior to that, I've been a worship pastor. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, been a writer for a season. I've done some, I'm currently also an adjunct faculty member yeah, at Multnomah. And so it's like, I've found that God wants to use me to build his church. Yeah. And he doesn't really prescribe what each season's going to look like, but he has asked if I will follow. Mm-hmm. And so these seasons are just constantly knowing that's the voice of God mm-hmm. and asking if I'll follow to the next. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And I, and I just want to say um, to people who are listening, like I know sometimes when people talk about vocational ministry, maybe some people feel kind of alienated right. from ministry. I mean, there, there are those of us who would say our, our full-time jobs is working for the church. 
myself included as someone who um, is employed by a local church. But then there are, there are people who all of us, as we say that we follow Jesus, we have ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do minister, whether you are someone who is a teacher, someone who's a police officer, someone who's a librarian, yep. whatever you yep. do, you have a ministry yep. that you are doing in, in your daily life. So I just, I just wanted to, in case anyone's feeling like, oh, well, there's full-time ministry and then everybody else. And that is... <laughs> Not the case. Absolutely. <laughs> Whether you work for the church or not, you have a ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. As a pastor, Ruben, what has been a few of the most surprising lessons that you have learned about God and the church over the years? And particularly, I mean, um, over the last two years, as the church has been navigating, I mean, in Portland, I'll, I'll speak for what the mm-hmm. Portland church has been navigating. Some of these are relatable worldwide, sure. but some of them have been specific to to our area. You know, the, the pandemic, racism, houselessness particularly is something that um, our country struggles with. But um, for those of you listening who aren't in Portland, houselessness is a a really big crisis here in in our city. I mean, we also had wildfires happen here in in Portland. We have gun violence happening at at a pretty big level right now in our in our city. And then we have, you know, racism. Maybe I mentioned that one already. I don't know. We had (laughs) we had had racism. You know, we have all these things happening in in our churches and vision. I would say too, I feel like right now the church of Portland, the big church of Portland is divided Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, unified in some ways, but in a lot of ways, pretty divided. So that's, that's another thing. So what are some, have been some surprising lessons that you've learned from all of that? And by surprising, I do mean both surprisingly good, yay, (laughs) and surprisingly disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You probably have both. Yeah. And I feel like every one that I find there's the opposite, like there's the other yes. side of the coin, right? Yes, like it's, totally, it's kind of that way. Totally. Um, yeah, man, as you first asked me that question, to be honest, like I had this kind of visceral response of like, I kind of just want to forget the last two years. And I think like there's a 100%. lot of us there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I don't really want to, because there are lessons I've learned, you know, yeah. in the process. And, but that just shows like, it's been hard, right? Yeah. It's been hard for yeah. everybody. Um, yeah. It's been hard for the church. It's been hard for people in the church. It's been hard for pastors, yeah. it's been hard for everyone in every yeah. role. And for me, some of the lessons I've learned, one of them, like, I guess I knew it, but I didn't really know it, right? Yeah. Was how centralized American church is around Sunday gatherings, mm. around their leaders, around, yeah, like their specific vision and a church's specific, uh, you know, ideas on mm-hmm. how to do this. And so we like find ourselves clumping, you know, and then centralizing around whatever mm-hmm. makes that church body, like mm-hmm. the reason you're there. But it's like so centralized. So when when that shut down, mm-hmm. like we were asking questions like, where are our people? Are we the church? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and like those Big are questions. really fundamental yeah. questions, yeah. but we were asking them because our people weren't here on Sunday and we didn't have the Sunday mm-hmm. connection. Our mm-hmm. program stopped running. So where mm-hmm. are they? And there were like 
legitimate concern. Like, are they, are they being fed? Are they being cared for? Are they, you know, and, but we operated for the most part through programs. Yeah. One size fits all sort yeah. of programs. And we had to shift to more individual calling people, seeing if they're all right yeah. and making connection. And what I found at least for our body was that they were serving their community and their yeah, neighbors. Right. They were loving each other in the community. Like mm-hmm. they didn't need the centralization. And I think they were learning it. And I think yeah. people, pastors were learning it yeah. and going like, huh, maybe just maybe Ashley, the yeah. way that God moves his kingdom forward and the way that he builds his church is yeah. person to person. Maybe that's maybe that's something we need to learn mm. here. And it's like seems so simple and kind of silly that a pastor would be going like, "That's what I learned yeah. in the two years." Like, didn't you learn that yeah. somewhere else? Of course I did. But but the one size fits all operates better. Yeah, um, yeah. the programming operates and the centralized operates better. Totally. And um, the other one's slower. You know, the individual person to person, heart to heart, mm-hmm. you know, is it's slower. It's a little bit harder to measure, like mm-hmm. all of those things. And I found like in conversations with pastors and and leaders that they were all learning the same thing. And so mm-hmm. it kind of gave me mm-hmm. hope, like, mm-hmm. man, okay. And especially as someone who does and talks to churches about welcoming people with disabilities, mm-hmm. one of the kickbacks I get all the time is wow, you're really talking about individualized ministry. Mm. We can't really do that here. Like Mm. I would get those statements. Mm -hmm. And then during the pandemic, I'm seeing people go like, it's really good to do this individualized Mm one-on-one ministry. And I was like, man, this is good. But now like we're starting to ask the questions Mm. of, you know, um, how do we rebuild and what do we put back in? And what I'm kind of seeing is us rebuilding the one size fits all programs. And that's a little surprising to me too, how quickly we can revert back to values that maybe we need to excise out of the church, you know, and we're kind of embracing them again. I agree 110%. Yeah. I I think we've gotten so the church can find itself. And I'm speaking for myself as part of the church. I think we've gotten caught up in this thing of you get caught up in, in doing mm-hmm. a certain thing, yep. following a certain model, keeping the thing running and it's running. Okay. It may not be running excellently, <laughs> but like, you know, you get caught up in, in doing that. And so you try to automatically go back to, yep what you've been doing when in this season, I I do feel like Jesus is, is asking us to shift and ask some hard questions and, and be willing to do things differently, even if it means letting go of some of those older models that if we're honest, they functioned and worked for a time. I'm going to put work in (laughs) quotation marks, function and worked for a time but they were flawed. Mm-hmm. None of them were perfect. Right. And so we have to be willing to change and shift. And the pandemic has given us a really great opportunity to do that and, and, and decentralize and help people to realize, no, you don't have to be um, in church on a Sunday in order to, live for God. In fact, if your faith is only centered around your Sunday gathering, something is missing. 
from your faith. It should be a seven day a week, right. 24 hour yep. a day type of discipleship that you are living. And that takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It takes work in the sense of, you know, not, not necessarily looking for a formula, right. but doing some things that really cause us to look at what does individualized ministry yeah look like for our people and for people who are leading the church. Absolutely. And I think for pastors, there's a temptation to look at the church across the street, right? Mm -hmm. And so if they're adding back all the stuff and people want, then that competition part comes up and it's like, none of us, start a church and go, I'm going to compete and yeah. beat the other. Yeah. Um, but it, it arises in us to go, yeah. well, we've got to get our people back too, yeah. you know? And yeah. so there kind of, you see that at play as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and there is something, you know, there is, um, there is something about being in a room full of Jesus followers singing yep. and worshiping and being together there's there's mutual encouragement and exhortation that should be happening there so it's it is it is biblical to to gather but it can't just be that right can't it has to be something more and i I think that's what we're saying and, and what this season has illuminated that that a lot of us Maybe we're just seeking to have Sunday gatherings and not seeking to be followers of Jesus outside of that. And maybe I just made a really large accusation (laughs) against some people. But I think if if we look if we look at uh, at our lives, there's this really great book that I've been reading called "Emotionally Healthy Discipleship" by Peter Scazzaro. And it talks about how our church models have have often been formed in America, that is, by doing and not being with Mm. Jesus. And a lot of us focus on the doing to avoid being with Jesus, to avoid him digging into the heart and soul of who we are, to lift us up to exhort us to change and to move that we would much rather be busy doing ministry than actually being in a life-giving and thriving relationship with Jesus or with someone else. Um, With that person that Jesus is calling us to have an individualized ministry with. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. So So it's very challenging to me that 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 challenges me where in scripture do you see jesus doing individualized ministry yeah well i mean when he calls his disciples right it's yeah. like he doesn't call like he doesn't put forth a program and go like yeah. whoever wants to come but he like individually picks some people yeah um and then as he walks like the stories that we find in the gospels are jesus and another person And sometimes it's Jesus against a structure. Sometimes it's Jesus Mm -hmm. against powers. Sometimes it's Jesus, you know, speaking to a group. But for the most part, there's a lot of these individualized stories. And I think some of those center around like his healing narratives. And we Mm -hmm. see him come into those spaces and, you know, interact with a person who on the margins of society Mm -hmm. speaks to a person who is unclean or unfit or you know whatever category stigma you know they would attach to these people Mm -hmm. and he comes in 
and builds like rapport, connection, love, you know, and it's like we tend to read those from our our perspective and our modern conceptions of it. And where we get it wrong then is like if if we're all about doing then the person who was, when Jesus meets the man born blind and heals mm. him, we view the person, the man born blind, as his primary problem being he can't do. Right. So now what is Jesus healing him for? He's healing him so he can go and do. Mm. And it, it, that's not it at all. There's something else that Jesus is doing there mm. in the healing, in the individualized care of this person to restore something greater than the ability mm. to perform or produce. It's not in mm. the kingdom of God. One of their greatest values is not to produce, you know, mm. um, just not. It's individualized, relational belonging. Mm. And that's what God's restoring, actually. I fell silent for a moment because <laughs> I was thinking really hard. I think, I think, <laughs> I think Ribbonette is so profound, like, um, to think through, you know, that big question, like, why Jesus heals mm -hmm. and what you said was, was so incredible of he's not healing so that we could just get to the doing. We have to understand yeah. the conception of, of disability stigma at play in the first century yeah, and to realize that for those people, they, literally being unclean could not be part of the community. Mm -hmm. So it was a cast off, you know, mm -hmm. life. It was one that lived on the margins fully, that mm -hmm. like there couldn't be connection with, there couldn't be relationship with, you couldn't hug, you couldn't touch, mm -hmm. you couldn't like the uncleanness of that person was so thorough in that conception mm -hmm. that, that um, they were on the, the outside mm -hmm. looking in. Mm -hmm. um, and the author mm -hmm. of the book I mentioned in part one, um, mm -hmm. John Swinton, he says what Jesus did was move to the margins. He didn't just go to the margins, mm -hmm. but when he shows up in the margins next to the person in the margins, the whole story shifted. And what do you always see in those stories? You see Jesus and the person he went to, whether that person's the man born blind mm -hmm. or the woman with the issue of blood or whoever yeah. it was, yeah. it's Jesus and that person and the powerful looking in. Yeah. They're on the outside now. Yeah. And it's like, that's what Jesus is doing in those. And he's restoring his belonging. He's restoring that they can go back to their community, that yeah. they can have relationship again, because that's fundamentally more important for people in the first century, yeah. not the doing, but the relationship yeah. to be cut off from the society, to be cut off from people was where the problem was. Yeah. And so when Jesus comes in, he's not just providing a cure because he doesn't like like bodies that hurt. He's, yeah. he's providing a cure for the ability to go back yeah. and to be in relationship. Like yeah. that's, that's the point. Yeah. And so we misread those and then we have to realize like the question we have to figure out at this end is how do we be people who provide relationship and belonging to all people? Yeah. And is a cure necessary? Yeah. I think people can seek a cure, but can't I love and provide belonging? Yeah. We don't have those stigmas and those things. We have other stigmas yeah. that keep us from people, but we don't have that one that would say unclean, you can't be in relationship. Yeah. Right. And so why don't we, you know, provide a different, like broader version of healing in our churches that yeah. means a restored belonging, yeah. a restored relationship yeah. for people who exist on the margins of our society. How do we live and be those kinds of people in our world? 
Yeah. Um, that give freely belonging with us. Yeah. And if, and if healing is, which totally makes sense. I mean, if we believe that, and this is core to our faith <laughs> of, of what um, Jesus followers believe that, that God, that Jesus desires relationship mm-hmm. and that he resides in relationship, father, son, and Holy yeah. spirit. Then of course, one of his his chief reasons for healing yeah. is to restore Absolutely. relationship. I mean, mm-hmm. for people who he created to be in relationship Absolutely. with one another and and himself. So there's so many man. I think, and if you think yeah, about you it, actually, reflect I'm, on that forever. <laughs> can I ask you a question about <laughs> yeah, it? Actually, yeah. What do you think that tells us about then? Like if. We are people who choose not to be in relationship with certain people. Yeah. So if healing is restored relationship and we're doing the opposite by not being in relationship, what do we call that? Like, is is there a de-healing? Like, what do we, you know what I mean? There's a thing here where we have to be honest about what we're actually doing. We might not do it because of it's an annoyance. We might not do for whatever reason. We might not do it because we're afraid. We don't know, but but there's something more true than just I'm not in relationship with those people. Yeah. There's a choosing to not be in relationship to certain people. Yeah. And that actually is a dehumanizing a de-healing, whereas what Jesus is doing yeah. is a healing and a humanizing. Yeah. Well, well, it is a, um, you know, we and we can see this in our world now. Mm-hmm. It is a, when, when we choose not to be in relationship with someone because of whether it's it's a prejudice, it's a bias, mm-hmm. that person disagrees with me, what, whatever it is. And there are some valid reasons why people maybe aren't in relationship with someone, especially if someone has harmed you. Yeah, so we're, right. we're not necessarily Absolutely. talking about that, but there is a, um, there's a destructive element to when relationships fall apart. Yeah. There is a part of it that, that wounds, mm-hmm. you know, as you talked about de-healing, not only does it unravel things, but it also causes wounds. Yeah. And so when Jesus comes in, and the wound is not necessarily the disability. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> the, wound, yep. the wound is the hurt that yes. comes from how someone has treated yes. you. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't, no one is looking at me. Yes. No one has asked me my name. Mm-hmm. No one has greeted me yep. this morning at church. Um, the wound has come from that, not because of my disability. I've lived yes. with a disability my whole entire life. It's not a mm-hmm, wound mm-hmm, for me. That's mm-hmm. that's who I am. Yep. You know, so yeah, the, the wound comes from that thing and what happens when Jesus comes in and restores relationship is the the healing of that wound yeah. permanently. Yeah. So yeah, I just really I love I have not thought about that. And the story before. of the man born blind in John 9, it yeah. depicts that for us. It, the very first scene is the disciples and Jesus coming to the man who's yeah. begging. And the disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, you're asking the entirely wrong, wrong question. question. And he rebukes them and goes, "This is you're not, no one sinned. This isn't mm-hmm. what happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he like corrects the communal gaze, the communal yeah. look upon but you immediately see what he's healing, right? Yeah. He's healing the restoration back to 
So you see the utter like disconnect from, yeah. and then he's healing. And we just kind of overlook that, you know, yeah. and it, but it's like, says it right there. Yeah, there. that's really good. Oh. love it so what so what i'm just i'm thinking about that i hope you guys are thinking about this i mean it's it's so good to think about especially as people who um for people who are working in again full-time ministry or for people who are just in different environments for teachers for employers for you know waiters and waitresses (laughs) for anybody uh, in in our community to be, to be thinking about this. So, Ruben, where do you think we? Um, first, I think we should let the people know. Okay, Ruben, you have your master's in. Yeah, I have a master of theology, and I focused in on um, disability theology, yes, and wrote okay. a thesis on um, a biblical theology of disability. Yes, there we go. <laughs> so, yeah, Ruben has done a lot of work and study on this. And not just study, but has been in relationship mm-hmm. with, is friends with people with disabilities. And um, something that I feel like in my church, um, I'm connected to, you know, there are several members of our church who, of any church really, um, <laughs> you paint, that have disabilities. And we have a team at our church that kind of works towards making our environment right more hospitable for families and people with with disabilities and without without them sadly i think you know our church would probably fail in this area because it's often the person who is who is dealing yeah. with the disability or is the person of a different race or is the person yeah. of a different gender that is having to navigate and call out the structure yes. but for for us, for the churches, like there is a, what are we missing in our theology that causes us to either see people with disabilities wrongly? And what I mean by that is not contributing members right. of the church right. or just causes us not to acknowledge people at all. Yeah, right. Their presence. If yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a great question. I I think it's not just a missing. I think there's an added thing mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. I think we have, and, and this is true of every church in every place for every time, mm-hmm. we exist in certain cultures and those cultures have values and those values are find their way into the church. Mm. That's not even a judgment about like that's bad on the church. It's just, it's Mm. going to happen. We Mm -hmm. live in that culture. The values that are present will find their way into Mm -hmm. the church. And if we don't question the ones that make us divide from or that hurt others, then we have an issue. And so I think there are some values that just exist in the church that are American values for the American church that we need to really look at and figure out how do we get rid of those and not live according to those. Think about productivity. Um, You think about autonomy, right? Like the, the aim of human life, according to many people in American society is autonomy, no dependence on anyone else. Mm. So then what do you do with a life that Mm. seemingly has to be dependent, which is already a false view, Mm -hmm. but that has to be, you know, and there's this sense of like, oh, so we get the quality of life debates Mm. that there are some embodiments 
that have a lesser quality of life than others. Mm, In the church, what that kind of contributes to is we then start to look at quality of salvation. Can they know their faith? Can they Mm. be saved? That's why sometimes you see people with disabilities not being allowed to be baptized or take part in the Eucharist. Like there's all of these spaces. It is. So there is this what's missing in our theology, but so much of what's missing is because we've assumed and that the values we've adopted are correct ones Mm -hmm. and we're not questioning those. Mm -hmm. So there really are some of these we have to question and those are two of the biggest ones you know, mm-hmm. our idea of autonomy whereas like the bible depicts the body of christ in romans as this group of people that depend on one another mm. all the time interdependence is assumed in the body of christ and dependence is glorified we're supposed to be dependent on mm. each other and it, then it says each member belongs to one, one another. another yeah and i think that comes with two elements if you really belong to me, Ashley, you have to be vulnerable with me. Mm-hmm. You have to share your experiences. Mm-hmm. You have to be real with me. Mm-hmm. And I have to be responsible with it. Mm-hmm. I can't trample you when you're vulnerable with me. Mm-hmm. That would not be you belonging to me. And if I truly belong to you, I have to be vulnerable and you responsible with me. That's right. But there's a group of people in our churches, in our workplaces, in our yeah. you know schools, yeah. that the stigma attached is... They need something from, but they don't give. There's nothing mm. to give back. That's so fundamentally yeah. wrong. Yeah. It's it's evil. It's 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 just wrong. Yeah. That there could exist a any group of people that don't have the ability to give back and be in that sort of belonging yeah. relationship. So we have to question it in our places and we have to realize all people are people. Yeah. That's all right. people bear God's image not marred more in others than in some others. Yeah. You know, and in some ways, all of my friends over all the 20 years I've been working in this field that have disabilities have taught me, they know things about Jesus experientially I could never know yes. because I have spent my life pretending to not be vulnerable. Yeah. I spent my life pretending that I don't need to be dependent on other people. Yeah. That's just categorically false to what God calls us to be. We're supposed to be dependent on each other. We're supposed to live in vulnerability with each other. And in those spaces, we learn more about Jesus. So I think one of the most fundamental things we need to know about our brothers and sisters with disabilities is that they experience Jesus in a way we need to know, we need to hear, and we need to experience. Mm -hmm. And so we cannot just treat people, any group, as in a group of people to do things for. Yeah. That's just not where it's at. Yeah. So we have to begin to view people correctly. Yeah. And view ourselves correctly. We see this humility piece coming in. Yeah. And if we do that, then we're all brothers and sisters that belong yeah. to one another and we're free to build each other up. Yeah. We're free to be dependent on one another. Yeah. Regardless, and this goes beyond disability, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their gender, regardless of their embodiments, regardless of what the other is like at all. We need to depend on and vice versa. We need to love and vice versa. You know, it's this inner interdependent relationship. Ruben, that was so beautifully said and something that that I have experienced I have a a younger brother, way younger 
than me. He's like 15 years younger than me. And he is severely autistic, struggles with disabilities. And and that has given me a, a different a different shift, as well as people in, in my church currently now who have disabilities. And what I notice and what I see and what I admire and learn from every time is there is a level of freedom and love that I cannot comprehend Mm. that they embody. Right. Um, Particularly when it comes to worship I'm like, there is just in inhibition. I, I feel like because of our insecurities, it's like we think too much mm. about what Joe Schmo mm. may be thinking or Mrs. Joe Schmo <laughs> may be thinking. Um, that I wear the right thing today? If I lift my hands yeah. too high, if I sing a little bit off key, if I do this or that, what are people going to yeah. think yeah. of me? And what I see is my friends with disability, they care about the audience of one. They are completely free to worship and love Jesus. And I admire that so much. And that teaches me a lot about what am I doing when, right. when I worship? How, how do I get that? Because that's, that's what we need right. in in our churches. And I had I preached a few weeks ago at church and I was having a conversation with my friend. Um, I won't mention mm-hmm. his name because I, I did not ask him if I could share this story, but he has a disability and he was talking to me just about Jesus. I, and I feel like he is an evangelist. Like I, I'm often thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he <laughs> loves Jesus. When he talks and to you, you want to follow when he Jesus. Talks yep. to me, yeah, he's talking to me and we're going over my sermon and he's telling me these things and he's showing me kind of the pictures that he's taken of mm. the sermon and he's sharing with me about like, you know, these are the quotes and this is this is who Jesus is. And what he said to me was like just the level of one, he's an evangelist and he talks about Jesus all the time. And I was like, dude, I got to find some way to have him <laughs> preach. I mean, I just feel like, man, mm-hmm. Jesus is bubbling forth mm-hmm. from your presence. This is all you can talk about. Um, and I'm not like that. I'm like, man, I don't talk about Jesus enough. So I'm feeling conviction as, as I'm talking to him. But the sincere humility as we prayed together and he was sharing, and this is the, the prayer that I should be praying actually, but I didn't even think to pray it. So <laughs> there was the, the humility and the fact of like, you know, pray for me to be more kind, to be kind mm. like Jesus to people and to be kind to Jesus. Mm. And I, I think about that and I'm like for us, particularly in our climate where we are prideful, yep. we lack humility, we care too much about what people think we are caught up in our own biases and mm. prejudice. We don't see one another. We're not seeking to be kind to one another. We have doubled down right. and we are like, nope, it is my way. I am owed this. I am right. I don't need to be kind to you. I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, 
you are the model, right? You're the model. You are the example. Um, and we're looking in all the wrong places yep. right now. And, and I'm just, yeah, as you, as you're saying that, I'm just like, yeah, what the church has, has to grow in this area. Because as I, as we said before, like everybody has a ministry. Yep. God did not create some people with right. purposes yep. and other people without a purpose. Right. <laughs> you right. Know? It's yeah. just not how he operates. But mm. as, as you said, how we, how we define purpose and how we think about things yeah. has so often shaped the narrative that now we do tend to think that there are people that have purpose and there are other people that don't have purpose um, that, that just fuel our purpose, yep. but they don't really have a purpose at all. You know, one of those other values is yeah. fun. So there are embodiments yes. or lives that have fun yes. and some that don't. Oh, yes. And boy, for Americans, if it's not fun, why would I ever do it? Why? Yeah. And, if yeah. it doesn't bring me joy. Right. But yeah. Right. Your brother, do we have time? Can I ask yeah, you a yeah. question? Please. Um, how would you name or describe your brother? Can you just give some like maybe five, one words oh, yeah. to name um, your brother? I would say... It's okay if there's a couple of negative ones. Brothers can be annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in my mind, I mean, I, I, the first one that came to mind is cautious, but wasn't in a negative way and more of a way of like discerning mm. kind of way, cautious. I would say like he, he loves keeping track of time. And so he kind of, he collects watches. He loves, he loves watches. And so I would, I would also say like just being mindful of time in a way to, to be present and, and to use it well, Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's something that I see in him. He um, is a conversationalist, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes whether or not I can understand clearly or not, he, he talks, yeah. he expresses himself answers questions, ask questions. I mean, he's, he's a talker. Yeah. Um, I'm not a talker, so I can say that. Um, <laughs> I, and I often don't seek to listen or ask questions or mm. express myself in that way. Yeah. So, and, and I would say like, just knowing like, like what you're saying that, that interdependence, but there's also a place of, I feel like knowing what you need. Mm. Um, I think he knows what he needs. Yep. He knows, he knows his life and is secure in that. So yeah, there, there's a piece of like knowing who you are. Yeah. And you just did something fundamental to disability theology. And that is siding with a fundamental part of what it means to be a God follower. Mm. And that means that we're faithful namers. Mm. And disability theology teaches us that in the garden, when God asked Adam and said, Adam, you get to name all the animals now, mm. that they didn't have a name before that. Yeah, They were just wandering the earth before. Yeah. And so he got to call into existence their names. That was a human, yeah. that was like a, a, a human role that yeah. they got. So the lion first knew it was called a lion when Adam spoke its name. Yeah. And, and we tend to participate in denaming others mm. through stigma. So I'm not going to name them here because you've already heard them and your brother's already yeah. heard them. And I don't yeah. want to give them like power right. in this space. Right. But just to like pause for a minute and think about 
those names that we give to people like your brother. Yeah. And it's different for somebody with autism versus someone with mm-hmm. mental health mm-hmm. um, diagnoses versus mm-hmm. someone who's blind versus so the various disabilities mm-hmm. carry this stigma. Mm-hmm. And when we participate in any way, when I see your brother yeah. and I go, yeah, maybe he is. And I add that descriptor mm-hmm. in. I don't see that person clearly yeah. and I'm denaming him. Yeah. And that cannot be present in our lives and in the church. Our job is to faithfully name people. And I don't think we get to faithfully name people until we get to know them a little bit. Yeah, that's good. You know your brother and you know this yeah. friend at church. Yeah. And you get to name them friend. Yeah. You get to name them. You know, I had a, a young woman who was working in our buddy program with a young, young boy who had a cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And kids in his class started to ask questions. It's pretty young, like first, second mm-hmm. grade, but they were asking questions like what's wrong with him? Why does he mm-hmm. do this? Why does he do that? And she found herself heartbroken going like, I don't know how to stand up for him. I don't, like, I have things I want to like yell at these other little kids, yeah. <laughs> but I know they don't get it. Yeah. How do I do it? And my like advice was, what do you call him? And so she began to like go through and then she landed on friend. Yeah. And I said, right. So just say, let me tell you about my friend. And it just normalizes the fact that they can be friends too. Yeah. Don't you want to be friends with so-and-so? Yeah. And then she invites them into that. And like with kids, it takes one conversation, mm-hmm. one open conversation mm-hmm. to normalize difference mm-hmm. and to invite them to know that person. And like, she's just open. Here's here's what he has. Mm-hmm. Here's how he's my friend. You want to be his friend? And they're like, yep. Yeah, <laughs> and of course friends. I do. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's beautiful. But we have to name people first sometimes yeah. to help other people see them. And that's yeah. not a job to take lightly because we don't own people. We don't get to that's name right. them as if we own them or name mm. them to understand them because that's another way we name people. Yeah, And we got to be careful not to yeah. do that. That's not at all what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about faithfully knowing someone. Yeah. And faithfully naming that person yeah. as friend. Yeah. I think that's the biggest name we need to get to. Uh, Ruben, that is that is so good. I, I feel like we could um we could talk all day long um mm-hmm. about about this. So I definitely want to have you on again. I would love that. Um, but we have run out of time. But before we before we close, I do want to say like something that, that we like to do and I didn't do it last time because I knew we would have a part two and a yeah. chance to do this is I do like to give our our folks who listen opportunity to respond and practice cool. maybe something that they've heard. So as as we've talked about friends with disabilities and, and how the church should respond, and we know that maybe someone listening isn't a part of a church and, you know, maybe they're a teacher or whatever, like how would you say, maybe there's two things that you can list off and you just listed one of, of them, but how can people respond or create a more inclusive environment, whatever that environment is for a friend with disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. I think it starts with you. And I think you have to look internally and you have to ask the same questions I'm Mm -hmm. asking the church to ask. Mm -hmm. What what values are present in my life? What things am I living for that don't Mm -hmm. give space for people who live differently? Mm -hmm. And 
the best of biological families when someone is born into their family that has a difference, that has a different embodiment, that has a disability. Mm-hmm. They go, there's a sense at which they just go on, right? Like that's your brother. It's not your brother with autism. Mm-hmm. That's your brother, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it's like you do all the same family stuff. Yeah. Participate in, in everything yeah. together. Yeah. And I think what we need to do um, as individuals who may not have a family member with a disability, maybe mm-hmm. it is a student, maybe mm-hmm. a neighbor, maybe it's somebody else. We have to really do some internal work. Maybe at the same time as getting to know them or mm-hmm. maybe some prior. Mm-hmm. But this sense of what what exists in my life that keeps me from approaching that person. Yeah. And and really work on why that's there and yeah. what experiences in your past, whatever they're there, but let's work through that. Let's get rid of those those yeah. values that would devalue someone else. Yeah. Uh, and that way I think we actually when we step towards people maybe have even less chance of harming, you know, yeah. or saying something yeah. You know, like we're all going to mess up. So I'm not trying totally. to make it hard, you know, yeah. but it's just, yeah, do some of that work. Yeah. Um, and then there's of course the naming, but I, I just think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, take a step towards someone, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it kind of begins with a really simple act. Mm-hmm. Um, get to know someone, take a step yeah. and it doesn't, and doesn't have to be so hard, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't overthink it and make, we're always making things complicated. When I talk yeah. to a, a class um, at Multnomah, I would ask them, you know, okay, so you know, Joe and Joe uses a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, and why do you have a hard time talking to Joe? Like what questions immediately come to your mind? And then they're kind of sheepish and they're like, just be honest. And mm-hmm. they're like, huh? why is it using a wheelchair? I was like, right, right. That, yeah. Okay, let's just be honest. All of our, let's get all of yeah, our questions out. Yeah, yeah. Now, like, what if, what if Joe was sitting at a dining table? Would you have a problem talking to somebody sitting down? Mm-hmm. Would that be hard for you to yeah. talk to someone sitting? And yeah. they're like, not really. I was like, so we just need to like do the work of yeah. like, what is in me? Yeah. What is there? Because yeah. that's the barrier. Yeah. And then let's, let's get it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then just, treat someone as a person. That's yeah, that's that's a that's a good reminder and I think we have a we have a good opportunity to practice this, you know, with with the holidays coming, mm-hmm. lots of us for the first time in 2 years, maybe we're gathering with friends over the holidays and family over the holidays that we haven't seen some of our family members maybe we get along with maybe we don't get along (laughs) with some of our family members have disabilities some of them don't this is a good time to practice some of the things that that you've mentioned in this season and and to really love people well to truly embody hospitality um, not just in what we're putting on the table or how we're decorating our homes, mm-hmm. but really to be a hospitable, welcoming yes. person yep. who people feel like, you know, um, I belong to them and you belong to me and yes. we are together. Yep. We are we are a family. You loving me and you respect me. I love that, Ruben. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. This is actually the last recording of our podcast for the year. Wow. So congratulations, you're a winner. Yeah, thanks, yeah, the Ashley. Fir- the first guy and the last recording of the year. And um, hopefully not the last guy. Hopefully I've done all right. No, not the last. Right. You've done great. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so stay tuned um, for more. We're going to relaunch again the, pro- the podcast in January 
January, but are going to take some time away for the holidays and to process this year. I would encourage you along with what Ruben has said, like process our conversation that we've had, but also take some time and make some space to be with Jesus. If you are a Jesus follower, or if you're not a Jesus follower to, to just be and process this year, process what's going on in you mentally and physically and make some space to do that and figure out what you want to carry into 2022, which is crazy and figure out what you need to leave behind in 2021. Um, And maybe some of that you should have left behind in 2020. I don't know. But ask yourself these questions. Be willing to sit and process. Ask the hard questions. Be willing to discard things that are holding you back from living into some of the truths that we were talking about today. We love you here at Joy of It. We thank you so much for listening this past year and to this episode. Please remember that you can find us anywhere where you listen to your podcast. And we want to give a big thank you to Ruben. Again, check out our website at www.frenzy.co or www.joyofit.org. Ruben, thank you so much. Ashley, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. And thank you guys for listening. We will see you in 2022.